A special thanks goes out to the folks at Spotify for bringing you this podcast. Hello again, everyone. Today, all about Sinatra from the one and only Pete Hamill. Part one. I'm Tom Zania, and this is Tom Read Your Story. Coming to you almost live, it's time once again for Tom Read Your Story, the number one spoken word podcast on the web for audiobooks, social media posts, current events, and just plain whatever. So let's start the show. For the next half hour, I'll be your host. I'm voice actor and podcaster, Tom Zania. And we are back. Welcome back, everyone, to the number one spoken word podcast on the web, and that would be Tom Reads Your Story. I'm Tom Zania, a, an actor, a, a voice actor, a podcaster, someone bringing you this show on a weekly basis, and hopefully we'll keep going with your help. Uh, if you are new here, welcome. If you are a regular listener, thank you very much for hanging around with us for all these years, all these four years, that is. Um, I uh, said a few words a while back about Pete Hamill, a great New York legend of a writer of a newspaper editor, a novelist, uh, someone who has really been around, someone who embodies the personality of New York. He passed away recently um, from an illness, and uh, we're going to really miss him. I didn't know much about him until the final year of his life and uh, listened to him speak uh, along with Jonathan Schwartz uh, on the local public radio station. Uh, he also did a very fine interview interview with John, Jonathan Schwartz uh, on Jonathan's, uh, on, excuse me, on uh, a YouTube uh, 92nd Street Y uh, event uh, evening uh, that took place a while back. And he talked about his book called Why Sinatra Matters and talked about his friendship uh, with uh, Frank Sinatra and a little about, a little about the book. And I had I'd said, uh, I mentioned uh, on the podcast that I would like to finally get that uh, book, which is a few years old. And I did get it. I got it on uh, eBay. And it sat on a shelf in my studio for uh, three or four months. But uh, lately I've been looking at it. And I decided to put at least uh, one episode of the podcast uh, out out there with uh, with this book. Um, 
a ch- at least a chapter or two from this book. And today, we have the introduction from Pete Hamill's book, Why Sinatra Matters. Why Sinatra Matters. Introduction. In the late spring of 2015, Francis Albert Sinatra was suddenly alive in the chilly New York air. He had died in 1998, aged 82, and for a long time seemed to have become a permanent part of a vanished century. But in 2015, there was Sinatra, the subject of a superb four-hour documentary on HBO. There was Sinatra's voice on radio stations all over the country, as vigorous and subtle as it was in his prime when he became a major part of the soundtrack of several generations. There was Sinatra in newspapers and magazines, an object of nostalgic admiration, affection, loss, and sometimes critical judgment. The reason for all this attention? If Sinatra had lived on, he would be 100 years old on December 12th. A friend called one morning to say that there was a splendid gallery show at the Library for the Performing Arts in Lincoln Center, celebrating the centenary of Sinatra's birth. Three mornings later, with a few friends, I wandered by for a look at Sinatra, an American icon. The show was dazzling. Sinatra was alive again in a time of prohibition lawlessness, when the mob was creating itself from California to Hoboken. Then, through the economic pain of the Depression and the fierce sense of loss during World War II, in the social banality of peacetime and the paranoia of McCarthyism, in his music, Sinatra expressed those times, turning separation that could never be healed into high popular art. Almost always, in the beginning, he was singing to and for the girls who were left behind. The Lincoln Center show was also pervaded by Sinatra's lifetime struggle against loneliness. He was an only child, growing up surrounded by large families jammed into tenements. As an apprentice troubadour, he passed through strange towns and cities where it was always two o'clock in the morning. Sometimes he found company and warmth, even love. Many nights he slept alone. Hating self-pity, the vulnerable young Sinatra was learning how to be stoic. Later in his maturity, he used irony and laughter to protect himself, even when talking about the man he saw in the mirror. As with millions of American men, his isolation was often caused by the four-letter word called love. The emotions of the situation are perhaps best expressed in his version of It Never Entered My Mind, Rogers and Hart, 1940. Full of shame, foolishness, regret. In other songs, too. But as the world moved on, Sinatra also came to understand that isolation, privacy, solitude were not always the same as loneliness. I knew Sinatra only for a few years in the 1970s, as this book briefly relates always seeing him in New York, 
but in the Lincoln Center Gallery, I also got to see Sinatra as a chubby infant, as a young kid, as a teenager who was a bit of a dandy, a part financed by his saloon-keeper mother, Dolly, who was also a Democratic Party ward healer. Other visitors to the gallery seemed as fascinated as I was. We were all squinting at what was before us and seeing into the invisible distant past, Sinatra's past, our own disjointed fragments of the past. Sinatra, the public man, was, of course, well-documented. There he was, smiling or somber outside the theaters or openings, or if we were lucky, if we could afford the price of admission in small clubs in big cities. But there were no pictures of him alone on the Hoboken waterfront, staring across the Hudson at the magical New York skyline. No notes on what he was thinking. Years later, we would see those old black-and-white newsreels from his early days as a star. The young man from Hoboken was labeled the voice, 4F, during the war, inspiring forlorn Bobby Soxers to various levels of teenage ecstasy at the Paramount Theater. From the packed balcony to the jammed sidewalk in front of the theater, this was a brief time when every night in Times Square seemed like New Year's Eve. Sinatra was singing with Harry James or Tommy Dorsey or Benny Goodman. Many of the young women in the dark, distant seats surely ached for their own young men, off fighting a war in the Pacific, or North Africa, Anzio, or Normandy. A lot of the young women just as surely had to fight the desire to mother the skinny kid up there on stage. But hey, he was married to Nancy Barbado with the laughing face. The Sinatras even had a couple of kids, young Nancy and Frank Jr., each born in Jersey City. And when at last World War II ended and the survivors slowly came home, at last their third child, Tina, was born in 1948 in California. But there were other Sinatras on display now at Lincoln Center. One was the movie actor. A visitor could stand and watch The House I Live In, a ten-minute short made in Hollywood in 1945. The film won a special Academy Award in 1946. The screenplay was written by Albert Maltz, the music of Earl Robinson, who was later blacklisted in Hollywood. The action took place in an alley behind the theater. A group of teenage white kids was hanging out when Sinatra came out for a smoke. The apprentice hoodlums started bullying a Jewish kid who escaped. And Sinatra started talking to the bullies. Upset. Angry. Urging upon them a sense of decency and respect for kids who were not like them. We're all Americans, Sinatra tells the kids. This was when the full horrors of what soon became known as the Holocaust were not yet known. On the soundtrack, Sinatra sang the title song. Well, gotta go to work. What do you work? I sing. Oh, you're a kid. Come here. Now you all stand here. 
and no hissing allowed. What is America to me? A name, a map, or a flag I see. A certain word, democracy. What is America to me? A house I live in, a plot of earth, a street, the grocer and the butcher, and the people that I meet, the children in the playground, the faces that I see, all races and religions, that's America to me. The place I work in, the worker at my side, the little town or city, where my people lived and died. The howdy and the handshake, the air of feeling free, and the right to speak my mind out. That's America to me. The things I see about me, the big things and the small, the little corner newsstand and the house a mile tall, the wedding and the churchyard, the laughter and the tears, the dream that's been a growing for a hundred and fifty years. The town I live in, the street the house, the room, pavement of the city, or a garden all in bloom, the church, the school, the clubhouse, the million lights I see, but especially the people. America to me. So long, man. For years, he continued to sing it, defying blacklisters and anti communist crusaders. Later, after leaving the Democrats, he even sang it for Ronald Reagan. Beyond another glass wall, there was a pair of white shoes, a small monument to Sinatra's talents as a dancer. One white shoe is signed by Sinatra, the other shoe by Gene Kelly. The two men kept each unmatched pair as a souvenir from the making of the 1945 film Anchors Away. In the film, Sinatra is very good in an unforced way. And wait, a few yards down, there were some paintings most of us had never seen before, even in print. Paintings by Frank Sinatra. They are very well executed, abstractions that 
seem like expressions of painted music. No clowns with grotesque mouths. No gorgeous women posed like fleshy trophies. Sinatra's paintings are spare triumphs of solitude. Other displays were full of objects. The nitty-gritty of Sinatra's life, early contracts, cameras, New York Yankees jackets, a number of driver's licenses, an Oscar statuette, slippers and pajamas, album covers, posters, snapshots, letters. Each had some private meaning that caused Sinatra to save them. Almost surely, the meaning was connected to love. And binding together all of the exhibition material, playing on speakers, was that voice, thin, even tentative when young, maturing into a man's rich and knowing baritone as he grew older. He drew his material from what is now known as the Great American Songbook, the words and music of the Gershwins, Harold Arlen, Johnny Mercer, Leonard Bernstein, Stephen Sondheim, Hoagie Carmichael, Arthur Schwartz, and others brought to fresh, vivid life, in many instances, by the great Nelson Riddle's arrangements. The writers and composers were almost all from cities and thus perfectly complemented Sinatra's urban style. Together, they were makers of the American popular classics. All were driven by the music. There was more to the Sinatra story than a smooth road to success. As noted in this book and others, after the war, he lost much of his teenage audience. Some of the returning G.I.s despised him for ducking the war, although his deferment was legitimate. Some years later, those same veterans became Sinatra fans thanks to the power of his art. But there were personal bad times, too. His marriage to Nancy began to disintegrate. He fell in mad, passionate love with the star Ava Gardner. After his divorce, he married her and started drinking too much. There were several suicide attempts, perhaps intended to impress Ava. He had fights with intrusive gossip columnists. He lost his record contract and, for a while, his voice. He was no longer welcome in Hollywood. Sinatra had knocked himself flat. And then he got up. The comeback started in 1953, with his performance as Maggio in From Here to Eternity, based on the fine James Jones novel. His performance became part of the Sinatra legend, and he won an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor. He began to get offers of starring roles again, and made television appearances, and sold records, a lot of them. Around the same time, the gossip brigades began linking him with the mob. For 30 years, he would be investigated by law enforcement agencies. They never found evidence for a single indictment. In that world, he was a victim of stereotyping. The facts didn't matter. He was Italian, right? Wrong. He was American. He also began to live a different part of the legend the great lover. The better-known female players were Bacall, Prowse, Monroe, Dickinson, and a few others. 
all were consenting adults. He also sought the company of his male friends, who made up the Rat Pack. Dean Martin, Sammy Davis Jr., Joey Bishop, Peter Lawford. They would often travel to Las Vegas, Miami, New York. Sometimes they could be funny. Most of the time, they seemed to be merely performing. There remain many mysteries about Sinatra, but this I truly know. My life would not have been the same without his music. Writing these words and many others, I heard Sinatra singing in the wee small hours of the morning, and I've got the world on a string. I want to hear How Deep is the Ocean, and Fools Rush In, and Someone to Watch Over Me. I'm in a hotel in Barcelona, and from the next room I hear Cole Porter's You'd Be So Nice to Come Home To. Later, I hear Night and Day, and I'll Be Around, and ill wind. When the music stops, I can kiss my wife and hug her. I can walk with her in the cold streets. I can remember what it was like to be 22. With any luck at all, I can dance. Pete Hamill, June 1st, 2015. And that was, of course, the introduction uh, before chapter one, from Pete Hamill's book, Why Sinatra Matters. I think I'm going to like this book, and I'm hoping that you do as well. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm going to do this all consecutively. Uh, it may come out here and there, um, but we'll see. We'll see how things go. Um, I really appreciate you listening today. Because that brings us to the end of yet another episode of Tom Rager's Story. Portions were pre-recorded. Please tell your friends if you enjoyed your visit today, because we're always looking for new ones. Thanks, Spotify, for this opportunity. I greatly appreciate it. Let's close today's episode with Sinatra. And this is a rare recording, singing uh, at the Hollywood Bowl. A very, very great song of his from early in his career. I'm Tom Zania for Tom Read Your Story. Thanks for coming. See you next time. Run up.
up and down my spine Aladdin's lamp is mine The dream I dreamed was not denied me Just one look and then I knew That all I longed for long ago was you. And down my spine Aladdin's lamp is mine The dream I dreamed Was not denied me Just one look And then I knew That all I Long ago As lovely as you But I should care And I do 
makes the sun set? What makes the moon rise? What makes the tide remember to hide? And why does it soon rise? What makes a star fall? Where does it fall to? Why does its flight make a stop in the night? as we all do and what holds a cloud together what makes the sky so blue what makes the sun set what makes the moon rise gentlemen we we'd like to dispense with the uh, it so happens that we just ha happen to have a couple of arrangements along with us and uh, remember your elders they're sitting all around you we would like to uh, do as uh, one of our encores a very lovely song this, if we may digress for a minute, is not from a motion picture. It is from a show called Carousel. It's a very lovely tune called If I Loved You.
come in an easy way Round in circles I go Longing to tell you But afraid and shy I'd let my golden chances Pass me by Soon you'd leave me Off you would go in the mist of day Never, never to know apparently seems to be a Jerry Kern's red letter day in the way of songs. And by the way, I don't think it could happen to a nicer guy. Here is a, a very wonderful Jerome Kern tune with lyrics by Oscar Hammerstein. One of the greatest American songs we have today, I think you'll agree with me, from the production showboat, We Hope You Like Old Man River. Mississippi, here we all work while the white folk play, pulling them boats from the dawn till sunset, getting no rest till the judgment day. Don't look up and don't look down, you don't dash make the white boss frown. Then your knees. 
and bow your head and throw until you're dead Let me go away from the Mississippi Let me go away from the white man boss Show me that stream called the River Jordan That's the old stream I long to cross Old Man River That old man river he must know something, but he don't say nothing. He just keeps rolling, he keeps on rolling alone. He don't plant and he don't plant cotton And then what plants some is soon forgotten But old man river Just keeps rolling along You and me Wet and strained, bodies all aching and racked with pain. Tote that barge and lift that bale. You get a little drunk and you land in So sick of trying I'm tired of living But I'm feared of dying An old man river He just keeps rolling introduce a young man who has to be put on early because he's making a picture and he has to be up very early tomorrow morning. Anytime this young singing star has been asked to attend a benefit, he's the first one to start in and give out and he's a wonderful guy. So I bring you from MGM, Frank Sinatra. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Time. 
after time I tell myself that I'm so lucky to be loving you so lucky to be the one you run to see in the evening when the day is through I only know what I know the passing years will show You've kept my love so young, so new. And time after time, you'll hear me say that I'm so lucky to be This is Tom Zania. For more information on my availability for your e-learning, commercial, or audiobook project, visit my website at www.tomzvoices.weebly.com. We hope you visit us again real soon for another episode of Tom Reads Your Story.